Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you'd open up your Bibles to Genesis, the first chapter, Genesis chapter 1, we will begin the first Q&A of 2017 in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. I always look forward to Q&A each month. I know many of you, you've told me that you look forward to it as well. And I look forward to it, number one, because I like hearing the good questions that folks ask. And then number two, even more so, because it's always just thrilling to open up the Bible and to see the answers that God has for the various, uh, sometimes curiosities that are on our mind, but other times things that really are very pressing upon our minds and the things that we're concerned about and the questions that we have. God's Word does indeed have answers. If you're visiting with us this evening, you've maybe never been here for Q&A night before, we're glad that you're here, and I'm not going to give a big long explanation. You just hang in here for the first couple of minutes, and you'll kind of see how things are going. It'll be a little bit different format than the normal sermons that are preaching here, preached here from time to time, but I think you'll figure things out pretty quickly. This evening, I have been able to group together three questions that all deal with the subject of time. It's kind of the big general heading I've placed these under. Questions about days, questions about years, questions about eras and ages of time, and how exactly the Bible goes about addressing those various things. One of these is a question that gets asked a lot. And I don't necessarily mean here, but it just gets asked a lot amongst lots of people who are Christians and people of faith and people who are interested in Bible things. Another is a question that I've actually had sitting in my back burner for months and months on end and been looking for an opportunity to put it together with some other questions and finally I have that opportunity. And then the last of these questions comes from one of our kids and I think adults may really end up appreciating this because you may end up learning something that you didn't know anything about before so you need to say a word of thanks to our kids for asking this question. So let's get started this evening in Genesis chapter 1. Let's read together in the first five verses. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. There was light. And God saw that the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. The darkness He called night. There was evening, there was morning the first day. That is the introduction to the biblical account of creation. And this first question has to do with creation. And I want to just actually assure you, before I actually put the question on the board, that this question came from a person, and this person was asking this question, not from an an, an atheistic standpoint, not from a general theory of evolution standpoint. Rather, I believe they were asking this question from the standpoint of somehow being able to reconcile the biblical record of creation with what the general theory of evolution teaches. And is that possible? And so the question they asked was, how can we be sure that the days of creation, as we read about there in Genesis chapter 1, how can we be sure that those aren't ages of time. In other words, how do we know that when the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth in six days, that that's not talking about long periods of time instead of literal 24-hour days? That is a question, I should tell you, it's a question that unfortunately 
lots and lots of brethren have argued and debated over, not with worldly people, but with each other. In fact, very vehemently, they have argued with each other about this question. It is a hotly contested issue. And it all stems, I believe, from an attempt to try and blend the biblical record with the various theories and the ideas that are presented and propagated by many of those within the scientific community. For example, let me just kind of get us up to where we are. The current age of the earth, according to all of the experts and the scientists and all the know-it-alls out there, the current age, and I say it's the current age because it seems like it's just changing all the time. They change their minds about this. Many scientists say that currently the earth is 4.5 billion years old. That is the figure that they're going with to explain the general theory of evolution that the earth is 4.5 dot something, something, something billion years old. Well, theistic evolutionists... And that's kind of just a fancy way of saying people who are Christians or who profess to be Christians who believe that general evolution is possible and somehow it's compatible with what the Bible teaches about creation. Theistic evolutionists, they have taken that 4.5 billion years and they've said, well, the way that we reconcile that with the account here in the book of Genesis is that when God created the heavens and the earth, is that God created them in not what we understand as days, but instead those days represent long ages, long eons or eras of time. That those days are not days like we know them, 24-hour days, but instead this is figurative sorts of language. Day means a period of time, maybe thousands of years or millions of years. And you should know, I guess I should say this, that the word that is translated day here in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, it is used in other places in the Old Testament to refer to long periods of time. There are instances of that in the Old Testament. For example, when the wise man says to remember your Creator in the days of your youth, what does he mean there? Well, he means remember your Creator in that extended period of time that we call youth or adolescence or the teenage years, that that chunk of time that is that part of your life. The Bible talks about in some places about the, the days of Abraham or in the days of King Hezekiah. What's that talking about? It's talking about long periods of time. And it is that use of the word day or days that has been pressed into Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and it has been attached to the days of creation. Folks say these are long periods of time, not six literal days. Now, that line of thinking is very, very popular. And not surprisingly, that line of thinking has caused a lot of Christians to have a lot of doubt. Folks start having doubts about something that they thought they knew ever since they were little kids. I learned that. It was one of the first things I learned when I came to Bible class as a kid was that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. And so folks start having doubts about that now. And they start asking questions, questions just like this one. I want to tell you tonight that I, I don't have any doubts about this. This is not something, this is not a question that I wrestle and struggle with. 
A long while ago, several years ago, I studied this through and I came to some very concrete conclusions. Doesn't mean that I'm not receptive to what everybody else might have to say, but I am firm and steadfast in what I'm about to share with you. I want to give you my reasons for why I am certain that Genesis chapters 1 and 2 is talking about literal 24-hour days. And I want to give you those responses in order from good to better to best to the bestest. First of all, while it is absolutely true that the Hebrew word yom, that's the word that's translated day, that word can mean long periods of time, I want you to know that every time that it is used in the Old Testament, in conjunction with a specified number, maybe a number in front of it or a number after it, it always means a literal 24-hour day. I read this morning and made reference to Exodus the 19th chapter where Moses told the people, you need to get yourselves all together, you need to be ready on the third day and you're going to meet the Lord at Sinai. What did he mean by that? Did Moses mean you need to get yourself ready because in three long periods of time from now, three weeks from now, three months from now, three years from now, God's going to meet you there at the mountain. Is that what Moses meant? No, he meant three literal days. When the Bible says that Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, what does that mean? Does that mean he's going to be in the belly of the fish for three long ages of time? Three decades? Three centuries? Three millenniums? Man, that'd make Jonah a really old feller by the time he got out of that fish. No! It meant three literal days and three literal nights. Every time that term yom is used in the Old Testament and it is modified with a number, it means that number of literal days. And so when we look here in Genesis chapter 1, just notice Genesis 1 verse 5. The first day. Genesis 1 verse 8. The second day. Verse 13. The third day. Verse 19. The fourth day. Verse 23. The fifth day. Verse 31. The sixth day. There are more than 200 instances of that term yom being attached to a definite number in the Old Testament. And in every instance, it means a literal 24-hour day or however many number of days is specified there. To assume then that that pattern that is used consistently everywhere else in the Old Testament, to assume then that that pattern would not apply to what we're reading here on the very first page of the Bible, with all due respect, just doesn't make sense. Especially when God, I'm going to throw this in kind of as a bonus, When God very well could have just specified that those days, the days of creation, are somehow different from all the other days that are used throughout the rest of the Old Testament. That Hebrew word dor, D-O-R there, it does mean long periods of time. And that word is found about 150 times in the Old Testament. It's used quite often. It's usually translated generation. Genesis 7 verse 1 speaks about Noah being found righteous in his generation. That is, in that long period of time in which he lived, Moses was found to be a righteous person. God is very capable of articulating himself in that way and specifying, hey, I'm talking here about a long period of time. God is able to do that so as not to leave any doubt whatsoever in the minds of the person who is hearing or reading the Scriptures. God chose, though, the word yom. 
day to describe His work in creation. In fact, I believe when we're reading there in the Genesis account, I believe that the Genesis account actually goes above and beyond the call of duty. I think the Lord actually goes the extra mile to make sure that we understand that He is talking about six literal days. I kind of wonder if God maybe in His wisdom saw down the stream of time and just knew there was going to be people that were going to start asking questions about these days and whether or not they're literal. And so God put a little something there in the text to really drive home that this is talking about literal 24-hour days. And that is the use of those terms, morning and evening. Did you notice at the end of every one of those verses we just cited a moment ago, that's how it reads? Look again, verse 3. There was evening and there was morning the first day. Verse 8. There was evening and there was morning the second day. Verse 13, evening and morning the third day. Verse 19, evening and morning the fourth day. Verse 23, evening and morning the fifth day. Verse 31, evening and morning the sixth day. Evening and morning are caused by the 24-hour rotation of the earth. And it seems to me, yes, that God maybe suspected that folks were going to get hung up on this day business. And so He gave this extra little bit of detail. He didn't have to do this. But he gave this extra bit of detail to eliminate any confusion that a person might have as they're reading this for themselves. And yet I'll say up to this point, I think those are two fine responses to this question, but I don't even think these are even the most powerful arguments. I don't even think this is where we need to rest our case on this subject. I believe thirdly here in this connection, I believe we need to understand about the Sabbath law. Because the Sabbath law can only be understood properly If you have a 24-hour view of the days of creation. Look in Exodus chapter 20, please. In Exodus 20, this is a chapter we'll read a little later this week. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And the fourth of those commandments, it's actually the, the commandment that probably is the most labored as far as the amount of detail that's given, is the law of the Sabbath. Well, what's the Sabbath, Lord? Where does the Sabbath come from? What's the Sabbath all about? Well, the Lord gives those details. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Here's the reason why, verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Do you see how the Sabbath law for Israel, it was rooted all the way back in those days of creation. In six days God created the earth, and on the seventh day He rested. Which is why Israel... You need to do all your work in the first six days of the week. And then there on that seventh day, you're going to rest. And that day did not mean for the Israelites 380 million years during the Paleozoic era. That's not what that meant. It meant one literal day. The seventh day, Saturday. That is how Israel understood it. And that is how Israel practiced it for generation after generation. And if that is how the word day was understood in Exodus the 20th chapter, then that is how the word day must be understood in Genesis 1, where all of this comes from, in Genesis 2. 
All of that then points us to what I believe is probably the most important idea here about the creation account. Because this concept here, it affects everything about how we approach the Scriptures. And that is the fact that there is nothing in the context of Genesis 1 and 2 that would lead us to not take it literally. When we're reading the Bible, one of the just key, critical, near the top of the list rules of Bible study is that we're going to take the text literally unless there is something in the context that demands that we see it otherwise. In other words, we just need to let the Bible be the Bible. If you sat down, maybe if you were sitting down for the very first time, it's hard for us to maybe try to put ourselves in these shoes, but imagine you were sitting down for the very first time and you were reading Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and you were reading it just at face value and you didn't already have all these preconceived ideas about evolution and 4.5 billion years and all that kind of stuff. You're just reading it for what it says. What would you come away thinking? I believe you'd come away thinking, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, and on the seventh day He rested. And why is that? Because nothing in the text suggests that this is somehow figurative or metaphorical language. If, however, you're reading in a different passage of the Bible, yeah, you might have to come to some of those kinds of conclusions. For example, if you were reading in maybe one of the prophets, like Ezekiel or Daniel, And they start talking about some of those days in some of their prophecies. And those words that they say is couched in between all this other metaphorical language of the prophecies that they're saying. Then yeah, there would be reason to think that those days are being talked about in a figurative sense. And in some cases, they actually are. Or think about in the New Testament. If you're reading in the book of Revelation... Revelation is a book that is filled with figurative language. We always need to be mindful of that when we approach Revelation. If you're reading, for example, in Revelation chapter 20, that's that famous passage that talks about the thousand years. It's where premillennialists get a lot of their ideas, the thousand year reign and so forth. When you're reading about that thousand years, is that meant to be taken literally? Talking about a literal, physical, one thousand year reign? No. Because when you read in the context, all those verses around it, it's filled with all kinds of figurative language and in some some cases really kind of extraordinary language. Dragons and chains being put around spirit beings and beheaded saints sitting there and reigning with Christ. So we read that and we're forced to conclude that, oh, yeah, there's some things in there that's not necessarily literal. But when we're here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what here in this context, and you can sit there, you go home tonight, you read all of Genesis 1 and all of Genesis 2. What in this context suggests that God did not literally create the world in six 24-hour days? I would suggest to you that this account quite simply says what it means, and it means what it says. And I realize that this, this does not address everything that everyone will say. There's a good chance as I'm standing at the foyer and uh, shaking hands with folks after services, somebody's going to come up to me tonight and they're going to say, Josh, what about 2 Peter 3 verse 8? You know that verse, Josh? That's that verse that says, With the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. You better be careful. Number one, that passage, contextually, it isn't talking about the days of creation. 
Number two, that passage does not say that a day is a thousand years. It says that a day is as a thousand years. It's like a thousand years. In other words, what the point of that text is, is that God lives outside the concept of time as we understand time. Be careful about that. Be careful about some of the other arguments and ideas that get made about uh, about these various things. And I'd be welcome to hear any dissenting thoughts that you may have on those points there or any other things that haven't been brought up. But how can we be certain that the days of creation are literal days? I tell you, for me, it's quite simple. Because the Bible tells me so. That's just what it comes down to. And there's no amount of atheistic, evolutionary propaganda or theories that's ever going to be able to persuade me to believe otherwise because I trust. I have decided from the get-go, I am trusting that this is God's Word and it means what it says. Now, I concluded with that point there about context and about taking context literally uh, unless there's something in there that suggests otherwise. Because that's actually going to help us in answering this second question. And I might be able to answer it in record time. second question that I've got this evening is, did people in the Old Testament really live to be hundreds upon hundreds of years old? Well, if you're still here in Genesis, turn over to Genesis chapter 5. In Genesis chapter 5, let's look at, this is probably the most famous, of all those big genealogies where you get all these people who are living just extraordinary lengths of life. In Genesis chapter 5, look there, well, I'll start in verse 3, starting with Adam. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. And the days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years. He had other sons and daughters, thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. Look at verse 8. All the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Verse 11. All the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Verse 14. All the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. Verse 17. All the days of Mahalalel were 895 years and he died. Verse 20. All the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. Verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Then verse 25, when Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived, after he fathered Lamech, 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years old, and he died. People were living a long time here in the early part of human history. And we read that, and our kids read that. And we've got lots of curiosities about that. Kids ask all kinds of great questions about that, like, what does a 950-year-old man look like? I'm getting, that might look a little creepy to see somebody that old. Or, you know, at what point are you considered a senior citizen? You know, 600? Is that senior citizen age? You know, is that old enough? I don't know. All of that, it's really kind of beyond the scope of what we can imagine and what we can even relate to or understand because... We've never seen anybody who's lived this amount of time. And so I suppose it is only natural for us to ask a question like this, and that is, is that real? Did that really happen? Did people really live that long? And the simple answer I'm going to give you this evening is, yes, they did. People really did live that long. And I'm going to say that without any kind of hesitancy once again, because 
There's nothing in the context to suggest that these years that are given for all of these various Bible men, that these years are not literal. Now, we could spend time and we could look at that that Hebrew term that's translated years here, and I think we'd actually come to the same conclusions that we came about when we looked at that word yom, talking about the days in creation, but actually, I don't think that's necessary. The context here demands that we take this record literally. Was there anything there that was just kind of you know, out of the ordinary as far as it sounded figurative in some way, other than just those years? It's worth pointing out as well here that just because, just because there were some really, really old guys living once upon a time, and just because that seems to be outside the scope of, of what we know and what we can relate to, that doesn't mean that that's impossible. That doesn't mean that these people couldn't have lived that long. Think about this. Back in the 1700s, there were people who argued that it was impossible for men to fly. There were people who said, I've never seen anybody fly. I've never heard of anybody ever flying before. That's outside the realm of what I can relate to and what I comprehend and what I understand. But you know what? About a century later, a couple guys by the name of Orville and Wilbur, they showed that it was very possible for men to fly. And so we don't ever want to come to conclusions on the things that we read in the Bible simply based on our own scope of experience and understanding. Somebody would maybe ask then about all of these old fellers, and I tend to believe that maybe a lot of the women live to see lots of those old ages as well. But maybe somebody would ask, well, what happened to all those guys? What happened to just that era of long, long, long life? Why doesn't, why doesn't that happen anymore? And the answer to that is, we don't know. We don't know. The Bible doesn't spell that out and explain that for us. It does, however, when you read in passages like 2 Peter chapter 3 and some other passages, it does seem, and the Bible seems to indicate, that something, something changed after the flood. Whether something changed in the genetics of human beings, or whether something changed in the environment, or, Robbie, dare I say it, climate change, or something else, it does appear that something caused human lifespans to start shortening with each new generation. In fact, when you start reading some of those genealogies after the time of the flood, you just start noticing they get a little bit less, and a little bit less, and a little bit yes. By the time you get to the end of Jacob's life, Jacob stands before Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, I'm 130 years old. And Pharaoh is amazed that this guy could live to be 130 years old. When you move a little bit forward and you get to the time of David, it seems like the average lifespan was around 70 or 80. Hence the reason the psalmist talks about that three score and ten. Or by virtue of being blessed and of good health, getting to see the four score years. The truth of the matter is, we... We don't have all the answers to that particular question. That's a whole other question for a whole other time. and Maybe somebody with a lot more smarts about that can answer it other than me. But I think we can be confident that if the Bible said that Methuselah lived to be 969 years old, we can believe that. Because once again, we trust God's Word. Finally then this evening, this is my favorite question of the evening. This is the one that comes from our kids. If B.C. means before Christ and A.D. means after death, then what do you call those 30 or odd years when Jesus lived? 
You know, what was that? Those years in between the B.C. and the A.D., you know, did Jesus just exist in some separate era of time all his own? Well, this is a fun question to answer. And actually, the answers to this question don't come from the Bible. Let me start by saying that, yes, B.C. does mean before Christ. However, due to kind of some weirdness in the calendar, as we here all these years later are trying to reconstitute all of the dates, there were some Roman Caesars who kind of monkeyed with the calendar when they were still uh, in power and they wanted the birthdays to be able to come around a whole lot sooner. And there's lots of other silliness that goes on. Jesus' birth would actually, it would actually be dated somewhere around approximately 4 BC. You can give or take a year or two on either side of that. And I realize that that, that just sounds a little bit odd, doesn't it? That Jesus was born four years before Jesus was born. But of course, you understand that in Bible times, people didn't have calendars the way that we do. People didn't pull out their smartphone and pull up the calendar app and say, huh, Today's January the 22nd, 6 B.C. I reckon the Lord's going to be here very, very soon. That's, that's not the way that that worked. All of this idea of the calendar system as we understand, all of that was constructed much, much later. You should also know, though, that A.D. AD does not mean after death. A.D. comes from the Latin phrase, anno domini, which means the year of our Lord. And so A.D. begins with the birth of Christ. Theoretically then what that means, if you can get all the dates to be where they need to be, theoretically that means that the calendar is going to count down to zero until Jesus is born. Those are the B.C.'s. And then when Jesus is born, it's going to turn to the A.D.'s and the calendar is going to work its way up. Now, there are people, you maybe are curious about this. I was curious about this. There are people in our world today who are very, very unhappy with the calendar being dated off of Jesus' birth. Or the calendar had anything to do with Jesus. Why do we even need to have Him in there? Why do we even need you know, any reference to Jesus, His birth, or, or the after death that so many people... Why do we need any of that Jesus stuff in there? We don't like that. We don't like the idea of the year of our Lord. And of course, we need to understand and recognize the B.C. and the A.D. stuff, that's not in the Bible. Nothing, you know, we can't say, well, we got to do it that way because God's Word says, no, you can't open up somewhere in the middle of Acts and the Bible says, you know, now it's 33 A.D. and this is what we were doing here. No. The A.D. calendar system didn't actually come into practice and into wide use until about 525 A.D. And the reason was, was at that day and time, in that particular area of human history, most people still believed and still held religious convictions and belief that the day of the Lord, that the day that Jesus came into this world, the birth of Jesus the Christ, that that still was the central, pivotal moment in all of human history. That that was such an important day that everything else ought to be worked around that. But now, now we live in a very different world, don't we? The majority of our world probably does not adhere to these same kinds of beliefs and ideas about Jesus and His birth and the significance of that and His coming to this earth and being the Lord and the Savior of all mankind. Our world becomes more and more secular and more and more worldly minded as days go on. Which is why, you may wonder about this if you ever see it, it is becoming more and more commonplace to start seeing calendars being dated this way. B.C.E. or C. What's that mean? 
Well, BCE just means before the common era. And that coincides with our BC dates before Christ. And then CE just means the common era, what we are living in now. And that would coincide with the AD, the AD dates uh, that we know today. And I realize that that accommodation has been made. I don't know who gets to decide about that. But that accommodation has been made to, to placate and to pacify unbelievers. People who they don't want to hear that Jesus stuff. I want to go about my daily life and not have to think about that. Or that be pushed on me in any way. But I would say, if I had my druthers, if I could kind of just have my way about all this, we'd keep that B.C. and we'd keep that A.D. stuff because it does help to remind people. Even people who want to close their ears and don't want to be reminded that yes, Jesus did come to this earth and that He is the Lord. That's important. Now, as we extend the invitation of Jesus Christ, thinking about all these dates, thinking about where we are today, it is the year of our Lord, 2017. You know what that says to me? That says to me that the Lord has been very, very patient and the Lord has been very, very merciful with the people of this earth. He has spared this world down to this present moment. It is January the 22nd, 2017. We're nearing the 7 o'clock hour Eastern Standard Time. The Lord in His providence and in His mercy has seen possible for you to be here tonight on this date on the calendar so that you would have the opportunity to surrender your life, surrender your will to Him to become one of His children. If you're not a Christian this evening, we want to encourage you to become one. We want to encourage you to do that tonight. Talking about all these questions about time. I'll tell you about the time. When we talk about salvation, the time is now. That's the time. The time is right now. When's the right time to do the right thing? Right now. And This is the time to render your obedience to Christ by confessing His name before men, repenting and turning away from sin, and being baptized in water for the remission of your sins. If we can help you do that tonight, we stand ready to assist you. It may be, brother or sister, that there's sin in your life, that there's things that are amiss, that you need the prayers, and you need the help, and you need the encouragement of your brothers and sisters. We stand ready to assist you as well. We'll pray with you, we'll help you, we'll, we'll support you and lift you up and do whatever we can so that we can all be ready to meet the Lord in the air when that, ta- that day comes. And that day, could be, that day could be today. This could be the end of time as we know it. Are you ready for that? If you're not, now's the time to get ready. Won't you do it while we stand and while we sing?